We'll be in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. And for all of you that hate winter, the Lord is blessing your request. Nothing like May in the 90s, and I don't know if you looked up, but I think next week they're calling for a chance we could get in triple digits. Should we sing that song again? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Do that again. I got to admit, I text my sister every now and then. She's uh, her and her husband are missionaries in the southern part of Germany. And uh, last week she texted me and said, uh, it's about 32 degrees and it's snowing. And I sent her a little picture of our little weather thing on the app. And it said 85, 85, 85. And she's like, yeah, keep it up. Um, she asked me, uh, I think it was yesterday, so how's it looking next week? I said, you're a missionary. You got better things to do be worrying about the weather's like over here in Milledgeville, Georgia. But no, I'm glad to have you here today. And I hope uh, just by being here, you'll be blessed. I hope uh, I tell you, it's encouraging to me to see you here. And I hope you have uh, a good day in the Lord. It's the Lord's day. As it says in scripture, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And whether you're here today and you don't have a lot to rejoice about, you can rejoice that if you know Christ, you know him as your Savior. And I'm glad to have you here today. I'm glad to see Brother Bobby and Miss Norma over there today. Brother Bobby had uh, some uh, treatments for cancer. looks like everything's cleared up and doing good. Miss Norma's still hanging on to him, so I appreciate that, Miss Norma. You're doing good with that. And glad to see them here. Yeah, it's good. The Lord's still working. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, we're going to read a few verses here, beginning in verse number 19. And we're going to read down through verse number 25, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I just pray as we come to you right now, Lord, I just thank you so much that we're allowed to pray to you. Lord, you are truly worthy of any praise, any worship that we can muster. Lord, I want to thank you for being our creator. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. But Lord, not only for giving us life that we can enjoy, but Lord, thank you for sending your son to be our savior from our sins. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough not to leave us in our sins, but providing a way for us to be able to be reconciled to you. Thank you for loving us that much. And Lord, I just thank you for not only being our Savior and our Creator, Lord, but how you sustain us. And Lord, that you know our feelings, you know our infirmities, Lord. And Lord, because of that, Lord, you say that we can have not just peace, but we can have the peace of God, Lord, your peace. Lord, I just pray for us today. Pray for my own heart, Lord. Lord, I pray as we continue to look at your word here, as you say in Scripture, that you open not just our eyes, but our blind eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, I just thank you for loving us so much, for giving us your word. 
And Lord, I pray you prepare my heart. Lord, I know I'm the one preaching, but Lord, I ask you that you would prepare my heart for what you have for me during this time. Lord, prepare all of our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that whatever may be going on in our life or whatever we might have anxiety about that might happen soon, I pray, Lord, that the devil will not take that good seed of your word. But, Lord, it might take root and it might bear the fruit that you desire it to have. Lord, I pray for those working with our children today. Lord, I pray you give them grace and favor in the eyes and ears of those children. Lord, I pray that you would, in your grace and your mercy, Lord, not one of those children would slip through the cracks, but, Lord, that every one of them would come to a time where they put their faith and trust in you. But, Lord, also live a life that's pleasing to you. And, Lord, I pray for other people across our, our city, across our state and the world, Lord, today that are, that are gathered together. I pray, Lord, that you might be glorified. Lord, I do pray for Brother Ayers is down in Heartland. Lord, bless him. Lord, give him as he preaches. I pray for Brother Jonathan Redford. Lord, as he's down in Largo. Lord, give him words. Help him. Brother Salden down in Dublin. And many of the preacher friends that I have, Lord, I pray you might just bless them. Give them your word for the hour. Thank you so much for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. When you come to verse number 25, and there's a lot in this passage, but the writer of Hebrews, and there's a lot of debate about the writer who is the writer of Hebrews. I personally kind of think it's Paul, but that's not really worth the fight, to be honest with you. And, but he says at the end of this passage, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But when you talk about this passage, there's an urgency, if you would, that the writer is giving to those Hebrew Christians, those Jewish Christians that are scattered abroad. Because these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians that have been saved after the time that Jesus has come to earth, he's died, he's risen from the grave, and he's ascended up into heaven. They're going through a time that they're really struggling spiritually. You ever been there, struggling spiritually? Things that you were once faithful at, and then maybe again you feel yourself because of circumstances or pressure or flesh. Man, it's all that. We all go through it. And we see here that the writer gives a little bit of exhortation, but he gives them a reminder because of them being Jews, they know their Jewish history. See, for us today, being Gentile, you say, why do you mean I'm a Gentile? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. That pretty much sums it all up, okay? Is that he reminds them of the things that were, but also the things that are new. When you read verse 19, he says, having therefore brethren, brethren meaning believers, he said, boldness enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And I just want to explain to you kind of a reminder that he's given them. He said, he's saying, you've got to be really thankful that you're not in the Old Testament day. Be thankful you're not in the Old Testament way, that before Jesus came, that there was this temple that they would set up, or the tabernacle as they went around. And between there, there was called a holy place but there's also a holy of holies the holy of holies was a picture of the presence of almighty god there was a veil a very tall veil that separated the holy of holies and the holy place and the outer court and all those things that veil is not like a normal shower curtain or something you could tear very easily most believe that that uh, veil was up to four inches thick that it would take multiple people to even try to begin to tear it and that really no no person could but as you know, as we studied and we looked at on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that when Jesus cried and said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost, and never forget that, they didn't take his life, he gave it up, that it says that the veil was rent from where? From the top to the bottom. See, up until that point, only one person could go into the 
holy of holies. Only one person was allowed to go into the place of God's presence where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that was the high priest. And the high priest had to go with the, the blood of an innocent animal without blemish, without spot. And had to be sacrificed for the good of all the other people. And the high priest would go into that veil. And he would pour that blood upon the mercy seat for forgiveness for his sins and the sins of all the people. By the way, the high priest had to go in with the right heart. If you study Old Testament uh, history correctly, if the high priest went in there with sin in his heart and unconfessed thing in his life, the Lord would strike him down because he's in the literal presence of God. And God would not allow sin in his presence. And so he would go in there. And so understanding all of that, that the, the high priest could go in, he's reminding them because Jesus has come, Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. He is, as the Bible says, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That when Jesus came, he was without spot. He was without blemish, means he was without sin. And Jesus was in his life taken from him, as I said. He willingly gave his life. That's why when you read in Scripture about without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Can I tell you, without the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, me and you, my friend, would still be in our sins. He had to shed his blood. It had to be broken, had to be spilled out, had to be given for you and for me. It had to be given for us. There had to be atonement made for the sins. And he's reminding them, he said, now, brethren, I want you to understand that because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross, when that veil is rent, God is saying, because of my son's sacrifice, I accept it now that all can come in. And I tell you, I say glory to God that we have the ability through Jesus Christ to come boldly into his presence. You and I, as New Testament believers, don't have we have, excuse me, what Old Testament, Old Testament believers didn't have. We have the ability to go into the presence of Almighty God. Because why? We don't need a high priest because, as the Bible teaches in Hebrews 4, we'll look at it a little bit later, that Jesus is our great high priest. That not only he went in as our high priest, but he laid down his life so we might have access to God. That we can go to God because of the blood of the Lamb of God. That we have salvation through him. And I like how he says in here in this passage, he says, how do we have access to the Holy of Holies? Verse 20, by a new and living way. Kind of reminds me of John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that just sounds like words, but when you put that into context of it says no man cometh, you can't come through the veil, you can't come into the presence of God but by Christ. And he goes on to say in that, through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Jesus, just like the veil was rent, Jesus' body was rent. Jesus' body was torn. Jesus' body was, uh, it was stabbed, it was beaten, it was spit upon. He was rent so that you and I can come into the presence of God. Man, it makes that John 14, 6 come a little bit more alive when you know everything it meant to say to come unto the Father. To come into the Lord was by him. This is just a little side note, something I found interesting in studying. The veil, by the way, uh, it was made up primarily of, of three main colors. It was made up uh, by blue, by red, and by purple. Blue, red, and purple. You say, well, wh what does that mean? Well, the understanding was is that in Old Testament Jewish, the color blue was meant to mean the skies or the heavens, if you would, the heavens above. Red was always a picture of man and purple you ever heard the crayon song it's a symbol of royalty of deity and those colors were woven together in that veil 
that you just about can't and couldn't see where the blue would stop and the red would begin or where the purple would begin and the other colors would stop. And you say, well, what's the big deal with that? Things in the Bible have meaning. Jesus came from where? The blue. He came from heaven. And what did he become? He became man. And he shed his blood. Blood is red. So that what? He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And that was rent. So guess what? You and I, my friend, take it a step further. So that you and I can be the righteousness of Christ in him. Because of that, I tell you, I get excited when I really study that Old Testament history. You say, Phil, you're kind of a museum nerd, geek nerd, and all that stuff. That's all right. Anytime I can find out more about what Jesus did for me and how he did it for me, it makes me excited to know that I'm not in the red anymore. I'm in the purple. But it's got nothing to do with me. It's all got to do with him and what he did for me in my life. And can I tell you this morning, if you're here today, whether you're visiting with us, whether you've been part of Emmanuel for all the years that we've ever been here, I want to encourage you this morning is to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. You say, Brother Phil, I'm here today and I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Can I tell you there's a difference between believing in God and believing on God. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus. See, when you believe in Jesus, you say, well, I acknowledge there's an existence of him. I believe there is a God. Can I tell you today that even Satan and the demons believe that there is a God and they tremble. Remember whenever Jesus, we studied it Sunday night. Uh, if you were here, we talked about the, the man that was possessed by the devils. What did it say when he saw Jesus? He ran and fell down on his feet and the demons within him said, what have I, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, son of the most high God? It's something to believe in Jesus, something to believe in God, to acknowledge there's an existence, but it's something totally different to believe on Jesus, which means this, I can't be saved by religion. I can't be saved just because there is a God. I can't be saved just because of works. I can't be saved just because I'm a member of a church. I can't be saved in baptism, but I can be saved through what? My trust is on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm leaning on. That's what I'm trusting in. It's not just believing that believing in Jesus, but believing on Jesus is that there's only one way, and that's to believe that Jesus takes away your sins and to know that. And I want to tell you something, and I want you to understand it. There's a lot of people today. There's a lot of good people sitting in a lot of good Bible-believing churches that believe in Jesus, that believe in salvation, they also believe they've got to live a good life to go to heaven. Can I tell you something with as much love as I can? If you believe you've got to live a good life to go to heaven, you don't, believe, you don't believe on Jesus. Didn't say you didn't believe in Jesus. You don't believe on him. Because you know what? You can read John chapter 10. It talks about the Father has given me is greater than them all. And he goes on to say in the verse in John chapter 10 that I and my Father are one. I tell you, the Pharisees love Jesus until he says, me and my Father are the same. That's when they're like, mm, we don't know about that. Can I tell you, there's a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different traditions, a lot of different religions in the world have no problem believing in Jesus. And that's the danger sometimes you've got to watch. But they won't believe on Jesus for salvation and understanding believing on him for salvation. But I like what this passage is saying in this. And if you get to the end of verse number 25, my goal for us to see something today is this. As he goes on to say, and so much the more, the end of verse 25, as you see the day approaching what day is that talking about 
so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what that day's talking about? We talked a little bit about it today in Sunday school, and I just told him we just happened to be kind of close to the same place. That day's talking about the coming of the Lord. That's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's talking about as we're going to get to, hopefully soon, with the Lord's leading, we're going to get into the book of Acts, and we're going to see the church and the believers, how they went after Jesus ascended up into heaven. But do you remember, as it says in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, when Jesus ascended and went up to heaven, it says that the angels and the men that robed in white said what? said, just as you've seen him come, or as soon as you've seen him go, he's going to come again in like manner. And I mentioned in Sunday school, you know what? Peter, James, John, and all the boys were looking for him, Paul. They were all looking for him in his day. Are you looking for him in yours? Now, it doesn't say in this passage, so much the more as you see a day approaching. See, because it says he's coming back. Over in the book of, you don't have to turn there, but I would like to read to you in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, talking about what day is this, what does that mean? In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, it's beginning in verse number 16. There's a whole lot in the passage. But the Bible says, what is that day? It says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, you don't hear a lot of teaching today and preaching today about the second coming of Christ. You know why? He hasn't come for 2,000 years. In fact, if we looked in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says there'll be scoffers in your day that says, hey, where's he at? Where's he at? Hey, there's scoffers today. Scary thing is sometimes I'm the scoffer. Sometimes scary, you're the scoffer. Because really, is he coming back? I can sing it, but do I believe it? Do I live in the light of so much the more as I see the day approaching? Not a day, but the day. And I believe the writer of Hebrews here is saying to these Jewish people, when you feel like quitting, when you feel like reverting, when you feel like you're discouraged and you want to go backwards, remember there's coming the day, not a day, but the day when the trump shall sound and believers will be gone. There's coming the day in that. See, this world is not getting better and better. This world's getting worse and worse. And us as believers today, we're all tended to what? As it says in the book of Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 2, to what? Drift away. Drift away from the things that we have learned. To drift away from those things. I mentioned in Sunday school, I'll tell you the same thing. Can I tell you something today? You are one day closer today to the day of the Lord than you were yesterday. If you were here last Sunday or wherever you were last Sunday, you had to be somewhere. <laughs> You know, you're one week closer to the day than you were last week. Let me ask you a question. How much closer to God are you this week than you were last week? Or are you drifting? Well, Phil, I'm about the same. Well, can I tell you something? If you take hot water and just put it on a counter, what happens to that hot water if you don't keep stimulating it? It cools down. If you take cold water and put it on a counter and leave it alone long enough, if you don't stimulate it to stay cold, what happens? It just becomes room temperature. You know what that means? It just goes with the flow. It becomes lukewarm. There's not a real great description in Revelation about how God feels about lukewarm. And so when we see this and understanding that you are today a day closer to meeting God than you were yesterday, but can I tell you something that should concern me or at least provoke my attention? So is my wife. So are my children. So are my parents. 
They're one day closer to that day than they were yesterday. But does that mean anything to me? Your parents, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your friend at work, they're one day closer to, to that day than they were yesterday. But does it mean anything to you? And does it mean enough to change us, to motivate us, to provoke us? And that's what he's trying to do in this passage here. He's saying, whatever you're doing for God, start doing it now. Whatever you want to do for God better than what you're doing now, start doing it now. Whatever you say, yeah, there's going to be a day I'm going to be more faithful at this. There's going to be a day I'm going to step out and really just take some faith and do this that's outside of my comfort zone. Can I tell you, the days are getting shorter, not longer. I got a birthday coming up June 15th. Just throwing that out there, okay? I'm not going to go from 40 to 39. Contrary to popular belief, I just burst a lot of people's bubble right now. I'm not going to go from 40 to 39. I'm going to go to 41. In some ways, I look back, well, most ways I'll say, man, one year of this next decade's gone over. I mean, in other ways, I'm like, man, it's been a long time. But can I tell you, the days are long, but the weeks and months and the years are short the way it feels i'm closer to god so you know what that means whatever i'm going to do for god i better do it now whatever i'm going to do to help prepare my family whatever i'm going to do to help prepare my friends whatever i'm going to do to help people around me that i know and don't know the people that are lost the people that know the lord whatever i'm going to do to help prepare them for that day i better do it now well i'll just when i that day will never come you know what day never comes tomorrow don't ever come because something else is going to pop up tomorrow or the next day on the list or the next day on the list. we got to be careful. Can I tell you one thing that the Satan, is, Satan is very good at? Delay. He really didn't mind Jonah going to Nineveh. Just don't go to Nineveh now. Don't go to Nineveh now. Wait a little bit. Think about all that's going on. This is probably not a great time to go to a people that hate your people. In fact, if you think about it, if you go into town now, they'll probably take you, stab you, kill you. They all kinds of things. They tortured the Jews. You can go, but just wait till things kind of die down a little bit. Wait till they're more open to the gospel. By the way, don't sell yourself that lie when you've got unsaved loved ones and family. Wait till they're more open to the gospel. The best way they can be open to the gospel is you present the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. But we're one day closer to so much the more as you see the day, the coming of the Lord approaching hey let me ask you this when we just think about this what are your thoughts about that day what is your initial thought about the coming of the lord the day that you meet god is it scary does it make you tremble a little bit like uh does it give you joy the day to stand before god Maybe you say, well, I try not to think about that day. I just ignore it. It's kind of like a little kid that gets scared. And what's the little kid say? As long as I can pull the covers up over my head, if I can't see it, it's not really going to happen. Can I tell you, I think the majority of Christians are living their life in an absolute purposeful denial that the day is approaching. I do. I'm just being honest with you. I do a lot of days. I don't live a lot of my days just being honest with you in the light that, hey, <laughs> this could be the day whether he returns or whether I go to meet him for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, if it's today to be absent from the body of your presence of the Lord. Did you live this week in the light that the day is coming? Well, I know the Lord is my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. 
But I tell you a desire that I have, and I shared it on Wednesday night, I believe. All of us talk about what? We want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? We all want to hear those words. But what about in our sinful, imperfected state, but saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? What about being able to stand before God humbly and say, God, to the best of my ability, I did exactly everything that you created for me to do. I did everything you asked me to do. Some of us feel like going to church, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, well done. Some of us feel like because we throw some money in the offering plate and tithe, we're going to hear, well done. I tell you, if we really read people in Scripture and these people that gave their lives, their whole life and how they lived and even how they died, some of them, I tell you, when I think about their lives, I think about them hearing well done. I think just because I go to church because I stand up and preach a few times on Sunday, I'm going to hear well done. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But it will last. It will last. And that idea and that understanding of that. So as he says here, so much the more as you see the day approaching, that should give us some responsibility, right? If you're a believer, it should give you some responsibility. That, that, that responsibility is twofold. Part of that uh, responsibility is this. It's responsibility as believers, meaning our responsibilities to God, our responsibilities upward. So if the day is approaching, I have some responsibilities as a believer, as a child of God, to God upwardly. But it also, as we're going to see here in a moment, there are some responsibilities as brothers and sisters in Christ to each other outwardly. Can I tell you, some of us look this way so much we step on everybody else this way. We think we look up here so much that we don't even love and consider as we're going to see here this way. I have a responsibility that's twofold. You have a responsibility that's twofold as a child of God in the way I live towards God upwardly. But I also have a responsibility as a brother or you as a sister or brother in Christ, as brethren, we have a responsibility to each other in that. Now, we like to say, well, they're responsible for their own soul, and that's true. Can I tell you, anybody in this world that dies without Christ, they're responsible for their own soul. We're we supposed to be the light. And what are we supposed to be the light for? So God sees it? Absolutely, but it says for what? So that men may see it. That means men, women, boys, girls, everybody. So they might see it. So as I see the day approaching, I have responsibility to God. But can I tell you, I have a responsibility to you as well. Can I tell you something? You've got a responsibility to me. And that's scary. To think about we have responsibility to each other. Can I say you didn't get saved to be thrown on some island deserted? You didn't get saved to be isolated, to be alone. You got saved to be part of the family of God. And that's why God put so much emphasis on the local church. Why? Because... We're part of the family of God. And can I tell you, I know you know, you feel it. There are a lot of days that I live in this world that I look forward to coming in and being with the family of God. Why? Because we're perfect? No, because we're not. But it's good to have fellowship with like-minded people. It's good to have these things. And to realize that you're not your own, but thank God you're not on your own either. You're not your own, but you're not on your own. And I have a personal responsibility as I see the day approaching. I have a responsibility as a believer to God. I have a responsibility to others. A few things I want us to see this morning is this. Talking about what is our responsibility as we see the day approaching. Number one, my responsibility, my personal responsibility, number one is this, to draw closer to Christ. Look at verse number 22. Let us draw near 
with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I don't know if you noticed this, but the phrase, let us, appears three times in this passage. Verse 22, let us. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse uh, 24, and let us consider. What he's saying here is this, that we have a responsibility to go forward in our Christian life. We have a responsibility to draw closer to Christ because the veil has been rent, as it says in verses 19 through 21. Christians, we need to keep moving forward. Now, here's a big question. Why does he talk about, in verses 19 through 21, about the veil? Why does he talk about it being rent? And then why does he follow that up with drawing closer to Christ? The reason being, he wants us to draw closer to a certain place. You know where that place is? The presence of God. He wants us to draw closer where? Into the presence of God. Can I encourage you? Live every day not only with an acknowledgement of, but a desire to be more in the presence of God. Can I tell you, there's certain people that I love being around. You want to know who it is? No, I ain't going to tell you. All right. There are certain people that I just gravitate to. I love being in their presence. And there's also the more I get to know them, the more I want to be more in their presence. And I've got an opportunity to be more in their presence, to hang out with them and be more in their presence. And I, want to, I don't necessarily want to be like them necessarily, but I like who they are and I like who I am when I'm near them. But here's the great thing about God. The more I have a desire to be more in the presence of Christ, I have the opportunity and ability to be, become more like Christ. You say, Phil, I don't feel very much like Christ. Well, let me ask you, you got any desire to be in his presence? You got any desire to be in the presence of God? You have a desire to draw near to God? It says over in the book of James, what? Draw nigh to God. James chapter 4, believe verse number 8. Forgive me if I'm wrong on that. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. But it also, that's awesome. You ever thought about that? It says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. I'm going to use, Brother Will, can I use you for a moment? I was glad he didn't say no. Brother Will, you be right there, okay? That means this. I'm saved, I'm on the way to heaven. I have a relationship with Brother Will. Now, we're going to stretch for a moment. Brother Will's going to be God, okay? Shall we pray? All right, so Brother Will's going to be God for me for a second, okay? James 4, 8 says this. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. If you read on in the passage, it says, there's kind of a requirement. James 4, 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-minded means I want to be closer to God. But man, I really want to be closer to that world too. But you notice, if I go further away from God, where does it feel like God is for me? Further away. So we want to live with one foot in the world and we want to live one foot with God. It don't work. Because the Bible says no man can serve two masters for you will love the one and hate the other. Or you will draw the one and you will reject if you would the other. But it says you can't serve God and mammon. So if I draw nigh to God, guess what? He draws nigh to me. I draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to me. I draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to me. He, I draw nigh to God, <laughs> this is where we won't be. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you desire to be this close to God? You won't be that close to God, or, or is this good? A lot of Christians, this is good. Because the closer I get here, the, oh, man, I really enjoy that. And I 
I really like that. And I ain't mean to point Brandon. I'm pointing over here, okay? <laughs> so on the back say, get him. You know, get Brandon, okay? Here's my problem. When I'm okay with being this close to God, I'm telling God, I got a little bit of my heart still wanting to go this way. Thanks, Will. You can sit down. Appreciate it. I thought I was about to get ripped my head off there for a minute. I'm all right. Here's what I want. Here's what my flesh wants. Here's what your flesh wants. God, draw nigh to me. I'll draw nigh to you. Ain't how it works. By the way, if you notice, where's the choice? Can I tell you something today? And take this in. You are as close to God as you want to be today. You have the relationship with Christ that you want to have today. I sometimes have a better relationship with some of my friends than I do with God. There are some days I have a better relationship with my wife than I do with God. And if you remember Scripture, and if you're not saved, or if you're kind of immature spiritually, you ain't going to understand this. But he says, Whosoever shall hate father and mother, unless you hate father and mother, you can't be my disciple. That doesn't mean I look at him and say, I hate him and I want bad things to happen to him. It means that my love for him makes my love for everything else pale in comparison. I just go a step further. Be careful. Don't put your family in the place of an idol. Don't make your family an idol. Don't make your job an idol. Don't make money an idol. Be careful because God has a way of getting things out of the way. Just saying it. I'm not threatening. I'm just saying <laughs> God's got a way of moving this stuff out of the way. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son to repentance. You are as close to God as you want to be. I am as close to God as I want to be. I just ain't got the time. We all got the same amount of time. In the day, we all got the same amount of time. You are as close to God as you want to be. And he says, draw closer to God. Live every day, not only with the acknowledgement of, but a desire to be in the presence of God. And shame on me if the veil's been rent and I'm not wanting to go further into the presence of God. If Jesus, his flesh, as it says in the verses here, was the veil that was rent. And I don't care about getting any closer. You ever read, or maybe somebody, everybody probably got this person in their life. I mean, we read about people in Scripture, but sometimes we can see somebody, think somebody helps us out. Has there ever been somebody in your life, you're like, man, they're, they're just a godly person. I mean, they're a godly mama, daddy, boy, girl. Per I mean, they're just a godly person. Can I tell you, you can too. question is, do you want it? We all draw near to something, by the way. If I'm not drawing closer this way, I'm drifting or drawing closer to something else. Something will have your heart. Something will have your affection. Something will do that. And I'm so glad that Jesus made a way for us to get closer to God, to get closer to him. Hey, you know how he did that? One of the great ways he did it is through prayer. If you flip back to chapter number 4 of Hebrews... Chapter number four talks about how we can draw closer to God and a way, a way that Jesus provided a way for us to be closer to him is this. He provided a way in the idea of prayer and beseeching. The word beseech, if you read it in Scripture, means to beg. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You're going to read about that again. That sounds familiar. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It's comforting to know that Jesus was tempted every way like we can be. And because of that, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've shared this before, but you know this. When you pray and we do corporate prayer, we've done a little bit of praying already this morning. But do you know as a body of believers, as we get together and someone leads us in prayer, what we're saying is lead us into the presence of God. That's why, just to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of joking during prayer. I'm not. I take prayer seriously. You know why? Because I'm not praying to you. No offense. I ain't praying to you. Because we're going into the presence of Almighty God. You say, well, what a friend we have in Jesus. Yes, but what a holy, thrice holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. He is just, he is holy, and he deserves us to come to him the right way. And here's what's awesome. He wants me to come to him. If you know me like I know me, you wouldn't want me around you. I could flip that around too, by the way. I could just say that, you know. It's okay. We can smile in church. It's all right. But God knows me better than anybody else knows me, and he still says, Come on. I want it. But can I also tell you something to understand is that he wants us in his presence. But he wants us to come a certain way. You say, what do you mean? How do I pray? How do I enter into the presence of God? Phil, how should I pray? Well, I got a few things. I'm glad you asked about that. Talking about drawing closer to Christ. Drawing closer to Christ is going into the presence of God. And how shall I go into the presence of God? I should go with a true and genuine heart. Look in this part of the passage back in Hebrews 10. Let us draw near. How? With a true heart. With a true, with a genuine heart. You know what that means? Integrity and character. And if there's a couple things that we need in our world today, is integrity and character. But we need it in this house just as much as we need it in any other house. We need to come with genuine character. Can I tell you something? You can be fake. And you can enter into a lot of places. You can enter into your job. You can enter into your home. You can enter into church. But you can't fake it and be in God's presence. He knows. He knows. You've got to come with a true heart. And I know what happens. But the last place that we should see fake people is not only in the presence of God in prayer, but in the house of God in church. We shouldn't be faking here. You say, Brother Phil, we here, ain't we? You ever been here and not been here? I mean, you in the building, but you ain't in the building. Because your anxiety, your frustration, your pride, your whatever, your bitterness has got you somewhere else. We can be fake here. If you really want to be in the presence of God and have a closeness to God, you can't be fake with him. You've got to be genuine. He already knows anyways. He just wants to see if we're going to acknowledge it, if we're going to be honest with him in that. But how do we pray? How do we enter in God's presence with a true and genuine heart? But we also enter with full assurance of faith. Look what it goes on to say. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You say, Brother Phil, what does that mean? That does not mean that there's a place for arrogance. That means there's not a place for cockiness. That means when you come into the presence of God, you come with confidence. You come with joy because of the relationship with the one who saved you. That's why he says in Hebrews 4, 16, because of Jesus, I humbly, because of who I am, but boldly because of who he is, can come before his presence. Because of Christ, I can come boldly to him. 
But he don't want me coming in pride. He don't want me coming cocky. It's coming with the idea that I'm here today not by my own doing, but by the merits of another, and that one is Jesus. And he says, come boldly. To come boldly. I love the parable that Jesus gives of the what? The, what was it? The, the Pharisee that he stood up and prayed, thank you, Lord, that I am not like most men like this, this one over here, this sinner. Thank you, God, I'm not like this publican. Thank you, God, that I give of all of my giving. I pray, I fast, I do this, I do that. And it wasn't say the publican, what did that guy do when he came? He fell on his face and not so much he lifted his eyes up into heaven and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. By the way, you say, Brother Phil, I don't have these elaborate prayers to pray. That one's a pretty awesome one. Be merciful to me. And that, I need God's mercy in every area of my life. And I know who I am. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you're saved, so are you. Well, the Bible says I'm a saint. Well, I'm a saint that still lives like a sinner a lot of times. Let's just be honest. Say, well, I don't believe I'm any more a sinner. You lie? Guess what you are if you lie? You're a liar. You gossip, what are you? Okay, we'll keep going, all right? Never mind, I ain't going to say that when I want to lose the spirit. Okay, here we go. All right? So we go in full assurance of faith, but we also have a true and genuine heart, but we also go to God's presence with a desire for cleansing. It goes on to say, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That means when I come into the presence of God, I, I got to look at God and say, I got I to get right with my sin. I don't want to go into God's presence, and God will not accept me in his presence if I go to him with unconfessed sin in my life that I'm not willing to confess. If I got sin in my life and I'm not willing to take care of it, he don't want me to come to his presence. When I want to get the sin right, he's like, come on. Come on, let's get the sin right. Let's go on. It's kind of like this. Um, it's definitely that time of year where school's getting out things, and you know what you like to tell your children? Exodus. Go away. Go outside. Enjoy life. Realize what world is without technology. Go outside. Be a boy. Be a girl. Just go. Have fun. But what happens when they're playing outside and they're running around barefoot and they're doing all this stuff running around and they come back inside? What, what do you tell them to do? Go take a bath. Why? Because of something, something that's out there is still on you. And it makes you stink. And you're going to stink up the house and stink up your bed and stink up everything that you're around and touch. And it's going to stink because what you were doing out there, you were out there and some of out there is on you. Get it clean. And some of us feel like we can live and do whatever we want out there. And we stink of the world that we took on. And we feel like we can just come into God's presence any way we want. Our hearts sprinkled. That means to cleanse us. To come with the idea of cleansing. To come with the idea of being right with God. Can I ask you a question today? Do you want cleansing or are you happy with your dirt? Do you want cleansing, or are you happy with the, what the world is rubbing off on you? Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be pure? Do you want conviction when you come into a church house, or do you want entertainment? When you read your Bible, do you want to be entertained by a story or have that verse that just jumps out at you that makes you feel like you did good enough, or do you want God to speak to you? you want God to lead you? you want God to show you who you are? I say it's a humbling thing for God to show us who we really are. Kind of reminds me of Psalm 139. I believe it's verse 23 through 24. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Is that idea? And God made a way through Jesus to go, but you can't just go any kind of way you want. May we not belittle the importance of coming into God's presence. Can I tell you, it's not about coming in the church building today. It's about coming into God's presence. It's not about praying. It's about coming into God's presence. It's not about picking up your Bible tomorrow morning and reading it. It's about going into the presence of God. Can I tell you, as we just a little while ago, it's not about just singing a hymn or listening to a song. It's about worshiping and coming into the presence of Almighty God. That's what it's about. And I like what it says, when you come, have your heart sprinkled. You say, Brother Phil, what does that really mean at the end of the verse? And our bodies washed with pure water. See, what we need to understand in those days, remember we're talking to the Jewish, the Hebrew people, what he's telling them in those days, a lot of their rituals, they did have to wash themselves before they walked into there. They did have to wash themselves. You say, well, Brother Phil, if they had to wash themselves, wash their bodies with physical water, how can I apply that for me today? For us today, practically, that means God's not talking about personal hygiene, but he's talking about spiritual cleansing. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of personal hygiene. So are you, hopefully, okay? But what he's talking about is spiritual cleansing. And what it's saying, God, please help us to open your word, to pray, to sing, to worship, to come into your house with a clean mind. Hey, is your mind clean today? Hey, is your mouth clean today? That means you might have said or done some things verbally the last few days. Have you cleaned it up? Do you ask forgiveness for it? What about your heart today? Is it clean? There's a lot of filth in the world, but it doesn't belong in the presence of God. It doesn't belong there. So as we saw, first off, we've got to draw near to him, number two. And I think we're only going to get two today, and I think you all are pretty happy because i got four. That means i got something for Sunday, okay? Number two. A lot of you are probably going to be glad if you know what number four is, if you kind of went with the verses. You, never mind. All right, but anyhow, number two is how... Do we live because the day is approaching number two? We've got to hold fast our profession. Hold fast our faith. Look what it says in the verse. Let us hold fast, verse 23, the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. When I say hold fast our profession, that means a consistency. That means a faithfulness. That means this. These guys had to be tempted. These brethren, these brothers and sisters in Christ had to be tempted to go back from where they came to go back to their old lifestyle, to go back to their traditions. And so what the writer is saying here, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. It means that you accept Christ as your Savior, but you also are going to live for the Lord, and that is the right choice. Can I tell you today that being saved is the right choice, but living for God is the right choice. But there are a lot of Christians, and you're looking at one a lot of times, that is saved, but I'm not making the right choice in the way I live my life. You're going to walk out these doors. How you treat your family at home, how you act at the restaurant, how you act at work is your choice. If you're going to live for God, or whether or not you're going to go back to the old you, go back to who you used to be before Christ. You say, Brother Phil, I just don't think serving God is for me. And you must not have really thought about what you got into. Because when I got into salvation, it's all about serving him. It's all about living for him. It's all about that. Can I just tell you something, an example? When I became a parent, I was pretty excited. I really had no idea what I was getting into. 
We were expecting Maggie. Pretty excited. Rachel was pretty excited. Physically, biologically, she was going through some things that I was not physically and biologically going through. Time to go to dark point? Let's go to dark point. Hey, it's time to have the baby. Let's go have the baby. I knew my life was going to change. She showed up. Woo! I had no idea how my life was going to change. I'll tell you this, and this is just how ignorant I am. We had Maggie and, and different things, and, and one of Rachel's closest friends was holding her and stuff, and I actually walked up to her friend and said, can I hold her? She looked at me and she said, well, she's yours, dummy. Of course, you, you can hold her. And when I held that little girl in my arms, I had no idea how much my life just changed. When you're born into the family of God, your life should change. I wanted to be a better father. I wanted to be the right kind of husband. I wanted to be the right kind of man. I'll just say it like that. Because now I have a responsibility to just change my world. But some of us get saved and we get tired of being saved and tired of living for God. And we want to go back to the old things that should have passed away. But realizing that all things have become new. My world has changed. Maggie didn't need 16-year-old Phil. She didn't really need 22, 23, 24-year-old Phil. It was time for me to grow up. And spiritually, sometimes we revert back to who we were when we were baby Christians. And let's be honest, sometimes before we even were Christians. And neglect the responsibility that God has given us. And the way that things should change our life. Can I tell you, my life was going to continue to change. And you say, Phil, we live in a society today that's very confusing. We live in a society that's very perplexed. Can I tell you, your hope cannot be in a confused society. It has to be on the most important thing, and that's your sins are forgiven, that you're washed in the blood, and that Jesus is your Savior. And can I tell you, as crazy as this world gets, and I'll tell you, I really do sometimes pray for my children. If God gives me grandchildren, what kind of world are they going to live in? But can I tell you, my hope is not in them changing some laws. My hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in our community. My hope's got to be in Christ and Christ alone. That's where my hope's got to be. It don't matter who's elected, no matter what laws change, what laws create, it don't matter. Because they can all change again, just like that. But my hope has to be in salvation. My hope has to not to hold fast to that. By the way, you can't lose your salvation. But you can believe a lie and live your life in such a way you don't have assurance of your salvation. You ever doubt your salvation? Oh, yeah, a lot. Can I be honest with you? Almost every time I doubted my salvation, I wasn't living right. Just being honest. I'm just giving a personal testimony. A lot of times when I wonder if I was truly saved, I had some dirt on me. I wasn't willing to wash off. And I got told, how, how can you be a Christian and live like that? How can you be a Christian and be that way? Can I tell you something? The next time you don't, if you're a believer and you know you're saved, the next time that you don't feel saved, remember that you didn't get saved by feeling. And you're not going to be kept saved by feeling. Feelings are deceitful. Sin will confuse you. Do as it says in Scripture, make your calling and election sure. And he says, hold fast, hold fast. And if I encourage you today, hold fast today, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't revert back to who you were. Don't go back to your sinful ways. I, I just put it to you like this. Some of us and maybe some of you in this building either are personally, this is for you or for somebody else. Can I tell you, there's certain people that maybe two, three, four, five, ten years ago, 
They got saved. They were in church. Where are they at today? They were reading their Bibles. They were praying. They were growing closer to God. And those Bibles are dusty. They used to pray and have time that they communed with God. And now it's just a tag before they eat the meal. They're reverting back to their old ways. We do that. You do that. We revert back to our old ways. You know why? Because we want that old life. Because we still got a sin nature living inside of us. He wants that old life. And he's telling us in here, hold fast. Hold fast. He says, keep reading your Bible. Some of us, let me ask you a question. Did you used to invite people to church, but you don't do it now? I'll say this, and I'll jump off of it. Some of you in this room used to come to church on Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't see you anymore. It ain't because you're working. Don't worry. We're going to get to verse 25 next week. That's fun. You got a week to pray about that one for me. Yeah, we're going to pray. You get Larry and Jada, so we're going to pray. But if you can look at your life and say, I was more faithful for God then than I am now, who moved? Because there's a promise. Look at verse 23 at the end as we close. For he is faithful. That promise. That's why I'm saved today, because God's still faithful. That's why I still can go to him and pray regardless of my horrible treacherous pharisaical life that i call it christian life because he's faithful that's why i can disobey him and go back to him with an open and pure heart and he says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness and by the way first john's written to christians that i can have that new that i can have that clean slate again if you would because he's faithful see the assurance we need to live godly lives is to hold fast But you say, Phil, it seems like every day I live, this world keeps getting more crazy and more crazy and more unpredictable and more unpredictable. And things are happening in this world. Can I tell you, if we're not careful, we start questioning God's, questioning God's faithfulness based on the craziness of what people do. People and things happen in your life. God is still sovereign. He's in control. That don't mean he's controlling everything. He allows things to happen. Don't believe me? Read Job. But you know what? Don't let the craziness of this world make you question our faithful God. Because he is more faithful to me than I will ever be to him. He's more faithful to you than probably you're ever going to be. So as we see the day approaching, let's not focus on the craziness. Let's not focus on the problems. Let's not fo focus on our shortcomings. I believe verse 23 is there for this simple purpose. For the rest of this year and for the rest of your life, focus on the faithfulness of God to you in spite of you. Why? So much the more as you see the day approaching. We'll hit the rest of it next week. All right, let's stand together.